going to turn tonight to First Chronicles 28. First Chronicles 28. Excited about what God is going to do this weekend. We're not just filling time and obligation. We are letting our presence be known in our city. And it's much bigger than you and I. Much, much bigger than you and I. You could read it in the Old Testament, First Samuel. There's a battle. We talk a lot about battle between the Israelites and the Philistines and how the Israelites were scared and how the Israelites were hiding in caves and how they were hunkered down but if you were to read in 1 Samuel 4 there's a, a pep talk that's going on the Philistines were afraid they said God has come into the camp they're not talking about their God they're talking about the God of their enemies God has come into camp. Ah. God has come into camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. This hasn't happened before. Woe unto us. This is the same God that smote the Egyptians with plagues in the wilderness. Somebody stands up and says, Be strong. Quit yourselves like men. In other words, get it together. It says it again by the end of that verse. Quit yourselves like men and fight. Things begin to happen when the God of the people of God shows up. Things begin to happen. I believe that on Saturday we're not just taking part in a parade. We're not just taking part in providing fun family entertainment, but I want the God of the people of God to show up with us. I want it to be an, an experience unlike anything that has ever happened. So, if you would, this week pray that God's will would be done. I know we get tired from working and putting in the long hours and, and all of those things, but let's, let's be prayerful. Let's be prayerful. In Jesus' name, First Chronicles 28, and verse 1, it says, And David assembled all the princes of Israel, princes of the tribes, and the captains of the companies that ministered to the king by course, and the captains over thousands, captains over hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons, with the officers and with the mighty men, and with the valiant men unto Jerusalem. Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren, and my people. As for me, I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God, and had made ready for the building. But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build an house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. 
Howbeit the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he hath chosen Judah to be the ruler in the house and of the house of Judah, the house of my father. And among the sons of my father, he liked me to make me king over all Israel. And of all my sons, for the Lord hath given me many sons. He hath chosen Solomon, my son, to sit upon the throne of the kingdom of the Lord forever. Verse 2, David stood on his feet and he said, As for me, I had in mine heart to build in the house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Going to preach tonight for a few moments and house of rest and house of rest. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this evening. Jesus, I love you. Lord, I thank you for all that you're doing. God, I pray that your kingdom would continue to move forward in Jesus' name. God, I pray, Lord, that your word would find its mark tonight. I pray, God, that you would have your way in this place amongst these people. They are your people. They are the sheep of your pasture. And God, I pray that your will would be accomplished in them and through them. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this evening. And house of rest. You find in First Chronicles 28, it is one of the accounts of David's last instructions. It is a moment where David has gathered all of his leaders together. We read it in the very first verse. There are in this in this assembly all the princes of Israel. There are not just the sons of the king, but they are also men of great position, men of understanding, men of position that are here. They are the princes of the tribes, the leaders among the people. They are the captains of the companies that ministered to the king are there. Captains over thousands, captains over the hundreds, and the stewards over all the substance and possession of the king and of his sons with the officers and with the mighty men and all the valiant men. He calls them all to Jerusalem. And, and certainly as they begin to hear the tidings of this this meeting that's going to be take place uh, in, in the city of Jerusalem, that they, they are wondering what escapade David has, has called them to. They're wondering what expedition. They're wondering what uh, military strategy they will be informed of. They are concerned or perhaps excited about this opportunity to get together with the who's who of the people of Israel at this time. And David calls them in because he understands that if if there is a lapse of communication, things could possibly be misconstrued. And so David is wanting there to be 
a meeting of the minds. Not because David is seeking counsel, but because David wants to make sure that everyone hears it from his mouth. David does not want them to catch the the glimpse of his plan through the grapevine. David wants them to hear it from his very mouth. And so David gathers them all there. They are the politicians of the day. They are the leaders of the day. They are men of substance. They are men who have been close to David. They are men who have influence amongst the people. They are his sons. They are his warriors. They are his servants. They are his stewards. David calls them there because David understands that in order for the vision of God to take place, that that every one of these people not only need to be informed, but they need to be engaged. David is writing the vision. He's making it plain. Hoping that these men would run with the vision. David stands up upon his feet and he he addresses the congregation that is gathered there. He calls them brethren. He is letting them understand. He's trying to help them understand that he's not lost himself. He's not been caught up with pride, but he wants them to understand that he remembers the places that he has been. He remembers hearing the voice of God draw him. He remembers feeling the presence of God draw him from his father's pasture. He remembers the feeling of the anointing oil of Samuel. He remembers well then the confusion of if this is going to be my life, then why am I going through this turmoil? If this is who I am called to be, then why am I still with my father's sheep? He understands that uh, he does not have a right to this position, but he has been blessed. He has been blessed with the calling. He has been blessed with the anointing. And, and and if we just skim down through there, we would just read it as, as David greeting an assembly. But, but we've got to understand that what David is getting ready to lay out to them is not a, a small undertaking. It's not, it's not a, a, a just let's throw a building together. That's not a, a simple building campaign. But David is trying to get them to realize the gravity of their proposal, the the gravity of his desire, rather. And so he's letting them know, I come from your ranks. This is not coming from the mouth of a a man who has been inflated with pride. This is not coming from the mouth of a man who has been lifted up in himself and of himself. It's not something David is doing because he wants to boast. But like we sang tonight, David was going to let them know all my life, God has been faithful. And all of my life, God has been so, so good. David is letting them know. He's trying to help them understand that that is the core 
of who he is and what is driving him. He's not desiring to build God a house out of personal prestige and desire, but he's trying to create a place where God's glory could could dwell and that God could find rest amongst his people. He's he's wanting, God did not ask him to, but God, uh, he's wanting to give God the reverence that is due and, and, is, and the best to his ability. And so he's addressing these men of influence. He's addressing the stewards of all his possessions. He's addressing those who have the keys, literal keys, to the storehouses, the literal keys to the king's treasury. He's letting them know that there's a desire that's been placed in David's heart, but God had said unto David, you cannot, you shall not build in house for my name, because you have been a man of war and have shed blood. So David, if he had been able to undertake this project in his own day, David may not have felt the need to have this meeting. But David is understanding that after I am dead and gone off the scenes, that there is another man that God is raising up. That God is wanting Solomon to build this house. That God has released Solomon to build the house of rest unto the Lord. And so David is asking these men without asking them, will you be behind not just my vision, not just behind my son, but will you get involved with the plan and the vision that will bring glory to God. Find it interesting that First Chronicles 17 and verse 1, we find the, the back story to this meeting that we just read about. It came to pass in verse 1 as David sat in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in an house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for, the, for God is with thee. And Nathan seems to have spoken presumptuously. He's presuming that, that God is going to be with David because God has already been with David. But this is not an undertaking like anything else that David has accomplished. It's unlike anything else that David has set his mind to do, his, his heart to do. So in verse 3, we find that it comes to pass the same night that the word of God comes to Nathan saying, now imagine being Nathan in this position. Go and tell David, my servant, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt not build me an house to dwell in. But but God, I just told him this afternoon, God never addressed it. God never scolded him. God never said, well, I didn't say that. God just said, go tell him that the Lord said. 
go tell him that the Lord said, for I have not dwelt in an house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another tabernacle. We find in the word of God that the words house and the word tent and the word tabernacle are three terms that God used to describe his dwelling place. He said, uh, I, I, it may be a tent, it may be a house, it may be a tabernacle. It might have started just as a, a, a covering in the wilderness. And, and that was good for the times that you had to wander and the times that you were being a pilgrim. Uh, the Lord is showing his faithfulness. Uh, he's un letting them understand that, that I've been with you from tent to house to tabernacle to house and, uh, uh, and and I was with you when I was in the wilderness I was with you in the tabernacle of Moses and then later on he's he's saying I'm I'm with you when the Philistines take the ark of the covenant away and and the ark has to dwell in the house of Obed Edom I'm I'm still with you and and and, and the the location of the ark doesn't doesn't affect God's uh position toward his people but the Lord is, is letting David know. He's letting the Israelites know that, that I have been faithful with you. He's letting David know. He's letting David know through Nathan. I, I haven't dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel, but I still brought up Israel. I know they didn't have everything the way that I wanted them to have it. I know that there wasn't a, a certain level of permanence there uh, but with my dwelling place, but I want them to understand. I've gone from tent to tent, from one tabernacle to another, but that does not mean I have left them. That does not mean I have forsaken them. God wants to let his people know that he has been faithful to them. He wants to remind David, I've not asked for a house, but I've been faithful to you no matter the circumstance that you found yourself in. Oftentimes we find God being much more faithful to us than we are to him. If we asked for a show of hands tonight, which we're not, but if we had asked for a show of hands, how many times have we prayed, God, if you would just help me get out of this one more time. Well, that's what you prayed the last time. But God, I really mean it this time. And with the best of intentions, or we think. Find in verse 11, it shall come to pass when thy days be expired. This is still God talking through Nathan. When thy days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee, which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build me an house. Notice in verse 12. He's going to build me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. There is a direct correlation to Solomon's earthly empire and the building of the house of the Lord. Verse 13, I will be his father, and he shall be my son, and I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it from him that was before thee. God's talking about the 
predecessor, Saul. He's saying, I, I took my mercy away from him. I've not taken my mercy away from you, David, and if your son will live for me, then I will not take my mercy away from him either. But I will settle him not just in his kingdom, not just in his throne, but I will settle him in mine house and in my kingdom forever and his throne shall be established forevermore we find God making a covenant with David we find God speaking to David David there is power when you begin to teach your children to live for God It should come then as no surprise that in the 23rd Psalm, David said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David has made up his mind. It's not just going to be a house of rest for God, but when I make up my mind, I'm going to live for God come hell or high water. I'm going to live for God come peace or rebellion I'm going to settle myself in the house of the Lord then God said I will settle you in my house there's special protection that comes from being in the house of God God makes a covenant with David you're going to have a son that's going to sit on the throne after you that son Solomon is going to build the house and Solomon's throne is going to be established forever. The relationship between God and David did not stop with David. It continued to David's lineage. It's expected in these passages of scripture. It lets us know that it's expected to last forever. And not just the relationship between God and David and David's children and grandchildren and so on and so forth. But it's this throne of David that's also going to last forever. We find it being uh, spoken of in the New Testament, Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. And the angel said unto her, being Mary, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God and behold thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Peter alludes to this verse while preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely. Let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. We understand tonight that it was not just a passing casual relationship that God was calling David to and that David was desiring from God. It was not some passive uh, 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 passive here today, gone tomorrow, today I'm going to talk to you but if you make me mad I'm not going to talk to you tomorrow kind of relationship that God wanted with David and it wasn't that type of relationship that David wanted with God but David wanted a relationship with God that consumed every part of his life. Was he perfect? 
No, he was not perfect. But God's faithfulness was perfect. God's mercy was perfect. God's judgment was perfect. God's grace was perfect. It is in Acts chapter 2 that we find direction then on how the church is also born into that heavenly lineage. Peter had started preaching. As I was reading Acts chapter 2 this week, uh, it just began to, to just click in my mind that this, yes, the, these words were unction of the Holy Ghost that Peter was preaching, but we, we usually just focus on verses 38 and 39, but Peter begins laying out uh, Levitical law. Peter begins to lay out the history and Peter begins to speak to them of everything that they knew Jehovah God to be and, and how it correlated then to Jesus Christ. God manifest in the flesh. He's preaching about the lineage and the house of David, the throne of David, the relationship that God and David had together. He's saying David was dead. David is dead. David was buried. We've got his grave over here with us uh, even now. Uh, but therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn, he's saying God would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. We understand that in Acts 2 and verse 38, he would go on and say, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and unto your children. He's tapping in on David's covenant with God. He's tapping in on when I'm buried in Jesus' name in the watery grave of baptism, I take on the name of Jesus. It's not simply just something to make me feel good good. It's not something simply to help me feel better about myself. It's not something that is just an outward symbol to those around me that I'm living for God but I'm baptized in the almighty name of Jesus and when that takes place in my life I am now part of the covenant between David and God. Part of something much bigger. Promise. The verbiage is so similar. The promise is unto you, David, and to your son Solomon, David. And you and your family are going to be established upon this throne forever. It was shooting out into the, the future to Jesus Christ, God manifest in the flesh who would come and sit on that throne and his disciples are asking him lord when are we going to overthrow rome when are we going to throw uh, overthrow the roman empire and he's saying that's that's not the way my kingdom works that's not what i'm here to do and so it's transitioning from an earthly kingdom to a heavenly kingdom in jesus christ and so then we find in acts 2 and verse 39 for the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off even as many as the lord our god shall call and you you and I are then bought into, we are brought into, we are grafted into a heavenly kingdom. We are grafted into an house of rest. First Chronicles 28 and verse 2, Then David the king stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. As for me, I had in my heart 
to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building. I was already preparing. I was already drawing the plans. I, I was already gathering materials. Because I wanted, I had it in my heart, it was my desire to build a house of rest. That simple phrase, a house of rest, means a permanent abode instead of a sacred tent. That sacred tent gave the idea of wandering from place to place. The language indicates a connection to the nomadic tribes of the desert. But David is looking around at everything that God is doing and everything that God had established and he's understanding that God is not just desiring his people to, to be cast from pillar to post. In fact, I believe David begins to think about the fact that it was just a few short days journey from the land of Egypt into the Jordan River Valley. And he's thinking it was never God's plan for the people of Israel to wander for 40 years. And it wasn't, I, I don't believe it was really God's plan for a tabernacle of Moses. Tabernacle of Moses comes about because the people are wandering from place to place. And so now he's saying, I want to build God and house of rest. I want to build God an established place because his people are no longer wandering from place to place. They're not just trying to find green grass. They're not just traveling from water hole to water hole. But God is establishing them. We've got some of us here tonight that have been bounced around from place to place spiritually or emotionally or mentally. We have been exposed to the things of the world. We have we have known the life of sin. We have known the life of living for the world and not living for God. Could you fairly say tonight when you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, when you were baptized in Jesus' name, that your life changed forever? Could you testify tonight that no longer am I bouncing all over the place? No longer am I searching for happiness and peace and joy, but I've found it because I've entered into a place of rest. We find that type of language about sacred tents and Tabernacles in Psalm 132 and verse 7. We will go into his tabernacles. We will worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou and the ark of thy strength. That type of language is used more than 20 times throughout the Bible. It's used in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 29. Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Ragul, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are journeying unto the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Moses is speaking to his wife's family, saying, we're, we're going where the Lord has called us to go. God has promised that he would 
give it to us? Would, would you come with us? We'll do you good and the Lord will do you good because the Lord has spoken good concerning Israel and Moses' in-laws say, well, I'm not going to go. I'm going to depart to my own land, to my kindred. Moses is pleading with him, and it's, it's one of the first examples of evangelism that we come to. Moses is, is trying to get him pulled in to the plan of God. He's saying, don't leave us, I pray you, for as much as you know how we are to encamp in the wilderness, that, that you may be to us instead of eyes. He's trying to appeal to this man's ego. He's saying, listen, we, we, we're going to need some places to, to live for a little bit. We're, we're going to be in a wilderness place, and, and that's the type of lifestyle that you live. Would you at least help us live that type of lifestyle? And it, it shall be if it go with us. If thou go with us, yea, it shall be that what goodness the Lord shall do unto us, the same will we do unto you. The Lord's going to bless us, and we're going to bless you. It's that, that lifestyle, that nomadic lifestyle that they are talking about they departed from the mount of the lord three days journey and the ark of the covenant of the lord went before them in the three days journey to search out a resting place for them and the cloud of the lord was upon them by day when they went out of the camp and it came to pass when the ark set forward that moses said rise up lord and let thine enemies be scattered and let them that hate thee Flee before thee. And when it rested, he said, Return, O Lord, unto the many thousands of Israel. We, we begin to see the fact that, that the ark of the Lord, the presence of God, it wasn't just a box, but it was the, the resting place of God. The place where his glory would come down and would come into contact with the blood of that perfect sacrifice. And if it was acceptable, mercy would be relinquished from God upon his people. And we begin to, to see the pattern that when the ark of the Lord would go out, that the presence of the Lord was leading his people. And when the ark went forward, Moses would begin to pray a marching prayer. It was a prayer that God would give them victory no matter where they went. We're wandering through the wilderness, God. Our faith is in you. Our trust is in you. Even though we don't know where we're going, even though we have to send the ark out a three days journey and they're searching out a place and we're trying to figure it out and we're using the ark of the Lord as a, as a compass. We're trying to figure out, God, where do you want us to go? Let me preach to you tonight that there are some times in your life when you don't know where to go. But one thing that you can rest assured sure of is if you'll send out some prayer, if you'll search out through worship, if you'll search out through fasting, if you make up your mind, I'm going to trust in the Lord with everything in me, absolutely, then God will open doors that no man can open, and God will close doors that no man can close. God, wherever we go, we want you to give us victory. God, we're putting our faith in you. We're putting our trust in you. We don't have the ability to do this on our own. But God, we're seeking after you. And wherever you go, that's where we're going to go. There are times in our lives we've got to be spirit-led every day of our lives. When we know the will of God and when we don't know the will of God. When the ark would go forward, Moses would start praying a marching prayer. God, we're following you. We want victory. 
Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. When the ark rested, it was a temporary encampment for 40 years. They'd rest, and then they'd move. They'd rest, and then they'd move. They'd rest, and then they'd move. God, I know we've been moving for a while, and we've been praying. God, I, I, I need you to be our offense. I need you, God, to, to be not just our, our shield, but, God, we need you to be our sword. We need you to fight for us. And then when it rested, Moses would begin to pray. God, I, I need you to be my defense right now. God, I don't feel like I, I'm going anywhere. I feel like we're we're getting a little settled down here. And God, there, there are certain types of enemies that would try to attack us when we move. And there's other types of enemies that would try to attack us when we rest. Let me, let me just put this little shameless plug in here. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're at. It doesn't matter if you're coming, if you're going. It doesn't matter if you're resting or if you're marching. You need to be praying. You need to be in the presence of God. You need to have an understanding. I need God to fight for me. So they would follow the presence of God. We find the language again in Deuteronomy 12 and verse 8. You shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Don't do whatever is right in your own eyes. Well, it looks good to me. So did the fruit in the garden. As it was in the days of Noah. They were doing whatever they felt like doing. Until it started to rain. All of a sudden the party stopped. All of a sudden the drinking and reveling and the fornicating and the adultery. All of it stopped. can't just do whatever's right in your own eyes. For ye are not as yet to come to rest, to the rest and to the inheritance which the Lord your God giveth you. Moses is admonishing them. Hey, listen, listen. He's not even necessarily talking about sin right here. But you can't just go and do whatever you want to do. You can't just go wander in whatever land you want to wander in because you're not, you're not where God wants you. You've not arrived to the place that God is saying, hey, this is the place I've given you. That's not where you're at. You cannot afford to stop. You cannot afford to stop. God wants you to become. God wants you to be the men and women that he's called you to be. God wants you to go over Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God giveth you to inherit. That means it's not something that's temporary. It's an inheritance from a heavenly father given to his children upon the, the 
death of their enemies and when he giveth you rest from all your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety then there shall be a place which the Lord your God shall choose to cause his name to dwell there God's been looking for a place for his name to rest God's been looking for a place where he could settle down and man could be drawn to him thither shall you bring all that I command you your burnt offerings your sacrifices your tithes and the heave offering of your hand and all your choice vows which you vow unto the Lord. God was telling them, listen, I'm going to bring you into a land of promise. And in that land of promise, there's going to be safety from your enemy. There's going to be victory over the adversary. And the Lord's name is going to have a place in that land. Let me tell you something tonight, ladies and gentlemen. When you and I are born again, we have the opportunity for victory. We have become the place where the name of the Lord dwells. When I was baptized in Jesus' name, it wasn't just the name of Jesus being applied over my life. It was the name of Jesus being applied to my life. I took on his name. I am a walking house of rest. There's no need to wander from here to there looking for fulfillment, but I could put my roots down. I can watch God use me for his glory. I am now a beacon drawing others. House at rest. When I'm living in the kingdom of God, I've got everything I need. That's not some little cliche term to think think that it's okay to just sell yourself short. If you think living for God is selling yourself short, you've not experienced like I've experienced it. If if you haven't experienced this this way, then then you need to get in in a, a place where you can get another dose. You need to get in a place where, where you can say, okay, God, I, I want a little bit more than I've had before. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in admitting that I want more. Honey, I want more today than I had yesterday. And I'm praying by the grace of God when I wake up tomorrow, I've got a desire for more tomorrow than I have today. It's not a process. It's not a, a place where I reach the final destination and I say I've got enough. I want more tomorrow than I've got today. putting my roots down. I'm drawing nutrients in from this land that I'm living in. Finding Ruth chapter 1 and verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return to your mother's house. Pray the Lord deals kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest. Each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and lifted up, they lifted up their voice and they wept. Naomi is saying, I, I want you to go find some rest. When she used the word rest, she's meaning, I want you to go find a, a safe shelter. The Hebrews used this word to speak of a husband's house. It was a woman's safe resort. 
And the position of unmarried women and of young widows was, was perilous in the land of Moab. And the house of a husband was the one place where that woman could find safety. It was one place that that woman could find respect. It was one place that that woman could find protection against bondage, protection against assault, protection against forced servitude. And so you can see the concern in Naomi's voice, not just there, but also a couple chapters later, we understand that Ruth said, I'm not going. Ruth, Ruth said, I'm not going back to that. I'm not going to go live in that. I've tried that. I've lived that life. I know what that life has to offer, and it's going to leave me broken. It's going to leave me empty. It's going to leave me abused. It's going to leave me hungry for more. It's never going to be satisfying. But Naomi, even in your down state, even in your backslidden state, there's something about you because you've, you're a child of God. Even though you're not where you need to be right now, there's something about you that is drawing me forward. Let me tell you something, church. Even on our worst day, we've got something that the world is looking for. Even when we don't feel like living for God, we've still got what the world world is looking for. They're looking for a place of rest. They're looking for a house of rest. They're looking for a place of safety. They're looking for a place of shelter. And you and I have access to that. Ruth chapter 3 in verse 1, we hear her. We hear Naomi's concern continuing. Verse 1, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, my daughter, Shall I not seek rest for thee, that it may be well with thee? The desire is still there. Even though she's come back and she's changed her name to Mara. Oh, Naomi's back. Don't call me that. You call me Mara because I'm bitter. But even in her bitterness. She looks at Ruth and says, I, I, I've got to find a place of rest for you. I've got to find a safe shelter for you if it's the last thing that I do. That it may be well with thee. And now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens you were, thou wast. Behold, he went with barley tonight in the threshing floor. So go get a bath. Go wash yourself. Go put on some perfume. Go put on some anointing oil, some fragrant oil. Put your raiment upon thee and get thee down to the floor. And But but make not thyself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And Naomi is speaking to Ruth, and, and she's trying to look out for her future. I'm, I'm almost done. Musicians can come. And, and she's, she's trying to, to be aware of what Ruth needs. And, and other times in Scripture, she had, had looked at Ruth, and she said, Ruth, honey, listen, I, 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 even if I was married right now, even if I gave birth to a son tonight, would you, would you be able to wait on him to grow up to become marrying age? It just just doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it doesn't compute, Ruth. Uh, sweetheart, I, I want you to find rest. I want you to have rest. I, I want you to have a safe place. And so now Naomi is, is looking forward and she's seeing Boaz. And, and by all rights, Naomi was in first position 
for Boaz. But Naomi is saying, I'm stepping out of the way because I want you to have a place of safety shelter. And her thoughtfulness for Ruth's future is manifest in her instructions. And she's saying, listen, honey, uh, there's some things that you've got to do in order for, for to, to find the kinsman redeemer. you got to wash yourself, honey. you got to get the dust of that field off of you, sweetheart. Uh, uh, you got to change your garments. Uh, you got to change your clothes. Uh, and you got to put on some perfume. Uh, you got to be a virtuous woman. Uh, you're going to go down there and when he's fast asleep, uh, you know that he's a working man. You know that he's in his threshing floor. You know that he's producing a harvest. You're going to go down there and in their, their Hebrew tradition you're going to go down and you're going to uncover his feet and you're going to lay down at his feet. It was not anything sensual. It was not anything presumptuous. But she was going down there and she was saying, Boaz, I need a safe place and I'm willing to submit myself to your authority. I'm willing to put my heart on the line. I'm willing to put my ego on the line because I want to be part of the house of rest. Naomi saying, sweetheart, you need rest. But, but in order for you to find rest, you need that kinsman redeemer. And it would be from that union of Ruth and Boaz, husband and wife, that there would be a, a man child born by the name of Obed, who would then give birth to a man by the name of Jesse, who would then give birth to sons, the youngest of whom's name was David. And God is establishing, you need a kinsman redeemer. I need a place of rest. You need a kinsman redeemer. Redeemer Ruth, I need a place for my glory to dwell. I know you may not see it right now. I know that you've gotten a word from God over your life and you may not have seen it up to this point and it may not be for two or three generations. It may not be for hundreds of years, but God is saying I've got a place of rest. It's in a house of rest. house of rest David looked out there at that assembly he said it's in my heart I believe it was in his heart because of what Moses had said in Deuteronomy chapter 12 God wasn't letting David forget the words of Moses. When you come into that promised land, God is going to put his name there. David's saying, God, I want to be a part of that. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I wonder if I have anybody tonight that would say, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in Huntington, Indiana. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the Midwest. I want to be a part of God, of what you're doing in, in these days, in, in this time, in this period of our lives. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I want to be able to lead folks into the house of rest. I want, to, I want them to, to add to their experience. God, there's a lot of good people out there that need to find rest. Come on, we're part of that kingdom. We're part of that kingdom.